Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects, and they have been since 1972. I told y'all. I told y'all it was going to snow again, and here it comes. This weekend, snow is in the forecast. So Denver Rubber Company has your back with everything to do with snow plows, specifically the snow plow blades. If you need fresh ones, they can cut to any length and slot for mounting to meet whatever your exact specifications may be. So they got you covered. You can get your fresh blades that you need. End of the season, you're probably running out. The best part is they're double-sided, so they last twice as long. So once you are finished up, you can store them and use them next season as well. Be sure to give a Denver Rubber Company a call today at 1-800-259-0010. They can also help you with any projects, whether it be hoses, custom die-cut gaskets, anything else made out of rubber, basically. You can also reach them at drcfirst.com dnvr. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. My go-to place for beer, wine, alcohol, they have over a thousand different varieties of beer. I'm a beer man myself. I don't drift too much into the other thing, so that's my jam, but they have those as well. And you can get them either picked up from either of their two locations on the curbside or delivered directly to your home if you live nearby. So jump on these opportunities while you can. You can also download their app and get into their membership program for great deals. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We just finished up our DNVR watches of Game 2, Avs versus Flames, in the first round of 2019. The Avs come out on top in overtime, 3-2, in a game where the Avs were much more dominant than I remembered. Yeah, same. Um, I just anecdotally totally remembered a a much closer game and when um monahan scored live it felt like wow that's really bad luck yeah but re-watching it it felt like such an injustice given how that third period had started to play out the Avs were just putting the hammer down they had half a dozen quality opportunities, which either hit the post or credit where credit's due to Mike Smith. He gave Calgary a chance to win this game, really. And then Calgary got the stupidest bounce of all bounces on the double block shot that still ends up in the back of the abs net. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Mike Smith was great. And the, the goals that Calgary scored... Uh, PK breakdown and just some downright hockey nonsense. Yeah. It, the 
five on five, although there were quite a few penalties in this game, more than I remembered, but at five on five, oh, this man. was not a close game by any stretch of the imagination. The abs- No, and we didn't know it, but it was setting up for what was to come. Yeah. Like, this started uh, a, a couple games stretch in a row where Colorado just buried the Flames in shots on goal, scoring chances, high danger chances. Everything. Yep. The only reason that this was not the abs just running away in this series was Mike Smith. Straight up. And even then, you look what he did on that Nieto goal. I didn't think anything of it when it happened because I was just excited. But rewatching it this time around, what are you doing? Like, Matt Nieto doesn't make any move. Yep. At all. It's why every goalie Nieto normally comes down on on a breakaway just stands there and makes a save with his chest basically right like they just they outweighed him because like Matt Nieto's like I don't have, I don't have any moves really <laughs> and you don't you don't ever really see him try much of anything yep and for whatever reason Mike Smith thought he had all of the moves ready to go uh like locked and loaded and Nieto didn't do anything. He watched Mike Smith start rolling around on the ice and was like, okay, okay. I guess I'll shoot it over him. And so he did. <laughs> it's that simple. And sometimes, look, that was the first goal of the playoffs, four and a half periods in for the Avs. Uh, shorthanded, Matt Nieto on a breakaway. If you had that in the lottery pool, you just won like a million dollars that year. So it may be the least expected way of the Avs getting their first playoff goal possible. Added on top a of shorthanded the shorthanded Manieto goal? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you can throw that on top of the fact that Mike Smith just forgot how to play goaltender for a minute. But it it was a weird game in that regard. That Yeah. Why did he why did he do that on that? But you watch him on two Landeskog breakaways yeah. in this game yeah. and he doesn't make a move. He just waits Landy out and then makes the save. Yep. And then with Matt Nieto, he's like, Oh no, gotta start rolling around. And it was like, What are you, What are you doing? I don't I don't understand Mike Smith. Does Mike Smith understand Mike Smith though? Oh, I mean he's a goalie, so no. <laughs> Probably not. In his head a little bit, maybe. On the other side, you did have Philip Grubauer. We'll get to the the big moment in a minute. But through the regulation stretch of this game, also pretty much matched Mike Smith shot for shot. Granted, the Avs had about 20 more shots on goal, but but Grubauer had to come up with some big moments as well. Yeah, was very good. Just did it in a much more boring way. (laughs) Which, when Philip Grubauer is at his best... It looks very easy. Yep. He the economy of motion, uh, the reading the puck puts himself in position. That's where that's where he's very good. He's not anytime anytime Grubauer has to be really scrambly or hyperactive. It gets ugly it's very quick. Iffy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very iffy. Like we've seen him make some crazy saves. Hell, at the end of regulation in this one, uh, that could chuck almost goal. Yep. He got a little scrambly, but he got there and. He had no idea where the puck was. I mean, anytime you end up with the, the whistle being blown and you end up with your face in the back of your own net, things have gone awry. 
but he was able to come up with that save. But beyond that, I mean, very square to the shooter, good, you know, good challenges on, on shooters. And that's what we saw with the big save in overtime is that he read the pass coming out from behind the net and he was in position and he cut it down and it was going to have to be a, it was going to have to be a good goal and did not, did not happen. And it went the other way and Nathan McKinnon, it made the memory. Yep. Yep. We'll, we'll jump into that highlight in the second period, but I, obviously I, I remember this being a big game, but even just a year removed at the end of the day, everyone knows the result of the series and it, it feels like the abs completely controlled it, but this game was two and a half minutes from Calgary going up 2-0 in the series yep. with certainly the abs probably deserved to win game two. And you're in a situation where that hole feels almost insurmountable for the abs. Yeah. I mean, you're the eighth seed. You had to scratch and claw and win basically every game down the stretch to even make the postseason. Yeah. You, if they end up losing this game 2-1, what more can they possibly do? They put 40 shots on the goalie. They hit multiple mm-hmm. posts. They scored a shorthanded goal. And if they come up short, the, what what's left in the bag of tricks at that point for the Avs? It well, doesn't... What's left at that at that point well. from the bag of tricks is that the college season ends <laughs> that night. Yeah, descending from the heavens above <laughs> comes Kale McCarr. Yeah, to provide to provide the ultimate X factor for for a playoff series. Did he ever? Which we will be watching on Friday night at six p.m. By the way, so be sure to tune in for that DNVR watches if you were at this one or if you missed it. Uh, all I'm saying is Kale McCarr makes me feel things. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that one, but sticking with this game for the moment, you ended up with goals in regulation from Nieto and Comfer. Now, Comfer maybe a bit more expected, but... Fourth line Comfer in that game because yeah. he's been demoted. Yep. So... Certainly not the most consistent producers on this Avs team, and I I was very quickly reminded just how little depth this team had. Now, I know that's a very contentious thing to say. The Avs got quality scoring out of two and a half lines for most of the, that year, but they still yeah. didn't have, outside of Soderberg, who, by the way, has been brutal so far in these watch-alongs, they don't have second line players. Uh, you're forgetting Kerfoot, who was uh, really good and and was just absolutely cursed in this series. Yeah, smashed so. the post over and over yeah. and over. <laughs> but either way, the it made it's making me appreciate this year's team and the massive jump of a Kadri and a Burakovsky in comparison. Well, I mean, Kadri Burakovsky, Kadri replaces Soderberg, right, and yep. is a one-to-one improvement. Yep, straight up. Burkowski replaces Kerfoot and is a one-to-one improvement. Yep. And then Donskoy replaces, I don't know, pick somebody. I guess Wilson? I'm sure. And then, and then Nachushkin. And then you still have Comfer. And then you still have Jost. Yep. Who were our 
more or less going to repeat their previous seasons in terms of point totals. Yeah. Um, it just it, it was just a deeper group. You did not have a Gabe Bork out there when healthy. Exactly. You know, where you did not have a a guy out there where it was just like, oh, he's he's out there. Vlad Kamenev. Trying to, we're just trying to get by here. Like Kamenev was as close as they came, and he's uh, certainly a more skilled player than Bork, but. Well, uh, that that Bork was like a regular for the Abs, and that Kamenev was uh, their thirteenth forward. Right. I mean, I think speaks to that exactly. Yeah, that's where I was heading with it. Is it? It's incredible how much of a difference that can make in in the feel of a team. Obviously, in the playoffs, anything yeah. can happen. But compared to that series, if the playoffs were to return to the NHL this year. I think Avs Nation would be feeling a lot more confident. Depending on the matchup, if it was Dallas, we'd have a lot of people freaking out about the Avs going 0-2 and 2 against them. And Yeah, I suppose. You know, and Ben Bishop and it being like, well, oh, this is the one thing that could stop them. And yeah, fair enough. I mean, could have, could have been a problem. I think the Avs would have taken them, but I, I would have felt good about the Avs taking them. And... I, and a big reason is because of the depth. You know, you look at Colorado, you look at Dallas. They each have some high-end guys. Colorado's high-end guys are better. But, hey, it's not the point. The point is that they each have a couple of high-end guys. And then the depth from there. And you just have to like what Colorado has to offer a whole lot more. And that's yeah. – you You continue to match them up going going through the, po- the postseason. You match up, oh, that forward core. And then, oh, you match up that defense. If, if both of the units were healthy, man, the, the the this year's roster was such a big step forward from last year's team in terms of just raw talent. And last year's team was a good hockey club. This year's team was a cup contending type I, of club. That's a good way to put it. We'll cap the first period there as it's time to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR, as we're sporting our, our merch here with AJ with a hat and I got my agave wheat shirt on. Someone was telling me it's awesome. If you want to get one, I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if you can get one for curbside pickup, so I'm not going to promise every, anything there, but Breckenridge Brewery you is it from doing the farmhouse? It. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. So Breckenridge Brewery is doing curbside pickup for beer and food at very least. Possibly shirts as well. I'm not sure. When you use it, you can use code DNVR to get $5 off of your meal. Pickups are from noon to 8 p.m. When you call 303-803-1380. Be sure to support them. They're a great sponsor of ours, obviously, wearing the shirts. And even if you can't get a shirt now, when this blows over and things do start opening up again, rep them. Get the merch. Show it off. Get with it for us. Second period of the DNVR. This is, this is my second favorite hat. Your second favorite? There you go. Yeah. What's your I favorite? I mean, behind the DNVR hat. Okay, that definitely fair. Yeah, like that's... Which Sorry. which DNVR hat, though? Uh, I have the uh, I have the flap rim with just the... You know, I have it sitting around here somewhere. So do I, actually. I have mine, which this is the best one, by the this way. One? Yeah. Yeah. So That's this is jam. buy this DNVR hat. It's the best one. It's got the <laughs> yeah, it's got the exactly. flag on the back. It's the way to go. Hundred percent, man. 
All right, second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Rudo and AJ. I beat around the bush. Obviously, the overtime goal, an incredible moment on both ends of the ice for the Avs. Mm -hmm. The question is, is that the biggest Avs highlight of the last decade, of the 10s to the 20s? In terms of what? In terms of, let's call it mm, biggest moment. Like, if you could boil down the best play of the decade for the Avs into a 20-second clip. I don't know. The Andrew Ghetto Game 5 against Nashville was you pretty think, big. You think that one's bigger? I don't know about bigger, but Avs had the momentum coming back at home where they had been, you remember that year, they were very good at home yeah, and just okay on the road. Um, you were hoping to get the magic out of Andrew Hammond. We saw that they ran out of gas, but like going into that, it was like, yeah, I, this, I, this, they, they, they had a legit, and they had played Nashville straight up in that series to that point. Like yep. they were, they were down three, one, but they had played that series straight up and could have just as easily been 3-1 the other way. Like, the Avs had been really good in that series. And for them to have stolen that game and then heading back home, it kind of felt like, oh, man, this could be... If you And if you get to a game seven, you have no idea. Who knows what happens? Yeah. And so that, that felt big. This felt big in a... Not in a... In, they've arrived kind of moment, like in just a very micro focused, like they they're going to win this series. And on a macro level, what that did for them emotionally, mentally, whatever. Uh, and then what I think it does for the front office too, for them to be like, yeah, we've got the goods here. We just need to be a little aggressive and going out and fixing some of the problems. Cause they could have been very conservative, bring back Barry for a year, bring back Kerfoot, you know, Ah, uh, Soderbergh had another year under contract, could have brought him back and kind of just run it back with a lot of the same group. Maybe, maybe still make the Burkowski move, maybe the Donskoy move, but they went and got aggressive. And I think this goal was the kickstart to the belief that they should do that. Okay. I, I can see where you're coming from on that standpoint. Uh, the thing for me is, and you know, maybe the moment is the biggest, but knowing the ultimate result of that series does cloud my view of it a little bit, I think. Because on the other side, this goal set the Avs off through the rest of this series and making it to round two for the first time in since, what was it, 2008? Yeah. So, two very different kind of steps along the way. You have the, the Andrew Ghetto goal putting the abs towards saying we're close. This goal felt more like the abs saying we're here. Yeah. It, it definitely felt like, because that shifted it to, Hey, home ice advantage. They took advantage of that. And then instead of messing around with the game six, uh, they went up to Calgary in game five, put their boot up that ass and said, we got work to do. Let's get to step in. Yep. And I think that was sort of their, 
that was sort of their we've arrived message to the league was not this game, but how they respond to it. Yeah. It's... The way that they come out in game three that we're going to watch on Friday and just smoke Calgary. Like, yeah, they right. <laughs> they dominate the Flames it... for the next couple of games. Game three especially was never close. Yeah, they were never going to win that game for all of the reasons that we all know about with Makar and the home crowd and, you know, just the buzz in the building and the the intensity, the way that they won this game, game two. You know, had had the Avs won 3 nothing going into game three, you know, in, in game two, going back to Denver, like with a 3 nothing win, like, oh, yeah, we're feeling good. They probably still dominate in game three. Yeah. But coming off just the way that they won game two was just the ultimate high. I mean, there's winning an overtime game in, in the postseason It's just such a, it's such a big up for everybody involved. Yep. And the crowd went bananas and everybody was ready. And then you throw in the Macar stick of dynamite. Calgary was never going to win game three. Yeah. But I, I agree, but that meant, this series went to 2-1 and the AV side instead of 2-1 right. Calgary's side. It was game four that I think that was really the, this is where they set them up where they were like, we felt like we were the better team. Cause you hear McKinnon's post game interview said, yep. we were the better team. We could have been up by several goals uh, with the way that we had played through the first 10 minutes of the third. And they were believing they played bad. They believed that they were the better team. They played better and the results matched that. And that I think that only drove them uh, even harder to to just let's get rid of these guys. We're better than these guys. They don't belong with us. And I'll tell you, uh, I talked to Alex Kerfoot before Game One, and I said, I asked, him, I said, "What's different this year, last year?" And he said, "Well, last year we were happy to be here, and this year we belong here." And I thought that was interesting given how the two seasons kind of finished and it was a 90 point team versus 95 point team. Yeah. But also the matchup. Cause when I said, you know, how much do you guys use the underdog thing as motivation? And he kind of looked at me and he says, are we underdogs? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, you're the eighth seed going against the one seed. Like you're, you know, on paper. Yeah, like you're an underdog. And he was like, well, he he said, you know, I think that stuff is more for you guys. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, confident guy. Like, confident group. Got the feeling. Having seen how they played in that series, and then looking back on that conversation, I think they knew, like, going in, that they were like, we can take these guys. Like, yeah. we're better than these dudes. And I don't know that they necessarily had that same confidence against San Jose, but that feeling, you know, looking back on it now, and maybe I'm just putting pieces together that aren't there, but it certainly felt like you put that kind of conversation next to how they played and sort of the attitude that they carried themselves with throughout the series. Yeah. It's kind of illuminating. It was kind of like, hey, these guys knew. Yeah. And... Maybe the best part about it is the Avs have kept the core of that all together. Not Kerfoot, who you talk to, obviously, but... <laughs> Which was a bummer for me. Yeah. <laughs> on a personal level, two of the guys I talked to the most were Barry and Kerfoot. 
and then and they sent they, them, they, they sent them to media hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, Barry's out of there likely very soon. But yeah, Kerfoot's just like three more years of this. <laughs> Although there are so many, he plays forward, so it's okay. There are so many guys in front of him; he doesn't ever have it's to true. come under fire. It's true. Got to get mad at uh, Matthews and Tavares first. Um, yeah, it. It's part of why the likelihood of not having playoffs this year is so disappointing because wanting to see that next evolution of what this Avs team was about to become, it felt right there. that The team felt ready to show the world something special. Yep. And then coronavirus happened, but hey, next year or whatever the playoff format may be this year, this team is still going to be there. Yep. <laughs> the only question is, is what do they do with Colin Wilson? <laughs> what are the starting 12 forwards? Which Tyson Jost do you get? <laughs> that's, I guess that's true with all the time off. Is it really playoff Tyson Jost? Well, I mean, post trade deadline. Man, he was on fire. Tyson Jost, like super stressed out. Oh my God, I'm going to get traded. Tyson Jost turned into super loose, all right, I'm here, now I'm a monster, and transformed himself into Godzilla. And you're like, oh, Godzilla Jost is fun. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> are you going to get Godzilla Jost with four months off? That are is you, the question. I mean, what version of Val Nachushkin are we going to get? Are we to- are we totally confident that the guy we saw all year is still going to be there? It's going to be – I have no idea what to feel about them coming back or – how, how much how much do you I mean you don't obviously put an asterisk next to whoever wins the cup but how much stock do you really put into like hey we've had four months off we're going to get we're gonna go with like this really random like six week playoff format so we can smash this in and say we awarded somebody the cup I on a personal note I'm totally down with it I, I mean, don't from an entertainment standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> let's do this. Exactly. We got we to make August actually matter for once. But like from a from a league standpoint or from an evaluation standpoint, from an analysis standpoint, you're making choices on a roster for next year. What kind of stock do you put into any of the games that get played between between uh, you know, I guess now and the start of next season? Yeah. In a world where Colin Wilson makes the Avs starting 12 forwards and has like 10 points in this little fantasy playoff run. Like, does he earn himself another contract? Don't. No, I will. I will fight you if you start bringing that up. No. Yes. You know what? Yes. He earns himself another contract in like somewhere else. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. We'll wrap up the second period of this podcast there. And, you guys, oh, yeah. us here at DNVR, we're trying to do a bunch of new things. Obviously, with the abs watch-alongs, Nuggets are doing similar things as well. But one of the big ones that we're really getting into now is the professional rugby watch-alongs with the Colorado yes. Raptors, who are now part of our beat. Colton Strickler is still doing podcasts. is still interviewing Raptors players regularly for us. So highly recommend you check that out and join us on the weekends for watch-alongs. I believe it's Saturday at 10 a.m. and Sunday at noon. They are playing back some of the best Colorado Raptors games of previous seasons. It's a total blast. Most of us at DNVR in there watching. 
we kind of have no idea what's going on, but, you know, we're trying. We're learning a little bit. The great part was was there were some rugby fans uh, who were hanging out in the uh, Twitter hashtag, the DNVR Watches hashtag, yep. who were responding to things and that we were And answering our silly questions. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't know that the play where they throw the ball in from out and then all the dudes, like, they make, like, the man tower and the guys shoot up into the air and catch the ball, like... Apparently that's called a line out and I did not know that. And they were happy to explain these things to me and it was cool to learn. Like I I'm there to learn the sport. So they made it very accessible and very easy. And uh, the, the, of course the game that we watched was really awesome that the Raptors dominated on Sunday. I did miss the Saturday game, but hopefully we'll be there for this week's. Yeah. I'm planning on being there. So come hang out, chat us up learn a little bit about the Raptors and, and just help support us. Things like this are new things we're trying and, and we really just want to get the community all together and, and watching this stuff and getting it as close to enjoying sports as it was before. So, yeah, that's all I got. Be sure to follow the DNVR Raptors Twitter as well and, and listen to their podcasts and all of that. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Rudo and AJ. AJ, this team, thank you, I appreciate that, Uh, this team is, (laughs) where does this team fall in the history of the Avalanche, the 1819 Avs? Obviously, they don't really come close to the the great 01 teams and, and things like that, but would you put it top 10, top 5? The 1819 Avs? Correct. Um, you might be able to make an argument for, like, 10th. Okay. I think that you assume 96 to 01 pretty much just runs the gamut of the top five, basically. Um, then... I mean, 96 to, to 02 would be all of the top teams. Um, 03, 04... There, there's all, there's always going to be reservations about that team. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that might be the most complicated team in Denver sports history. Yep, just in terms of how you feel about it, them and I think probably the 2012 Broncos. Okay, are the ones that I will always have the most complicated emotional weird feels with. about. Yeah, yeah. Um. And then after the lockout, after the lockout, all bets are off. You could make the 2013-14 team. You have to, I mean, they, it was like 112 points or something. They won their division title. Like they have to be ahead of the 18-19 abs. Even if, even if they didn't advance around, they went seven. They lost in, they lost in game seven in overtime. Like that was a, they, they were this close to, uh, they definitely would have lost in the second round. Uh, which is where this team lost. So, yeah. you know, I don't, and and they had a much better regular season. And so I think that somewhere in there, like 13, 14 would be ahead of them. They might be, they might be, the 18, 19 might be able to sneak in to the Eight. top 10, but yeah. you fast forward five more years and it won't even be a right. conversation. These. This year's team probably already ahead of them. To be oh, honest. this year's team is definitely ahead of them. So definitely, this year's team was on pace for a hundred point year. Yeah, it 
which is would be the best since the thirteen fourteen team, and then yep. you have to go a ways back before that for the Avs to be in that kind of conversation. So the it's interesting to try and and rank that type of thing because it's easy to put oh well that team won the cup at the top, but having a team that was so good year in and year out for the first eight years of their existence followed by a slowly downtrending team that eventually just outside of 13-14 had a dark era where okay they made the playoffs in there a couple times but it was not a quality hockey team it wasn't a team that you were tuning into every night and saying this is a team that should be competing for a cup Mm -hmm. and now the Avs kind of are that team again, starting in, with the eighteen nineteen playoff run and, and pushing the Sharks to Game 7. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard for me to compare across eras because of those feelings, knowing what a team is night in and night out is not always the best comparison, I suppose, mm-hmm. because there were plenty of nights, even on some of the best Avs teams ever. They would lose to a bad team. They would struggle with the game. There were times where those teams didn't feel like they were at the top. But once it's all said and done, there's only one thing that matters, and that's the cup, right? Yeah. So to circle back around, does it matter how you get the cup, whether it's that six-week whatever tournament they throw together or a full-on playoffs? What what's the difference really? I for so if they uh, say they come back in August and they play a postseason and they award the cup in the second week of September, which is the strangest thing to say. Um, they're the third best Avs team ever. <laughs> Easy as that. Easy um, as that. <laughs> yeah, they're the they're they're a top three Avs team of all time. I mean, you just can't. You can't put teams the you you could not put a team that did not win the chip over them. That's I would say that's fair. A question in the chat: Worst Denver sports teams for the Abs? It's obviously sixteen seventeen. But is there another Denver sports team that competes? I'm trying to think of the the not really the Bron- terrible. There won't be a Broncos no, team. It's Rockies or Nuggets for sure. It you know the the Rockies have never lost a hundred games. In a season. And I know that that's like a weird thing to be like, hey, but they've never lost 100 games. It's much more of a season after season thing with the Rockies of disappointment than one right. truly brutal one. Yeah. the I think maybe the worst on, I, I don't know, man, the, the 97-98 Nuggets won 11 games. That's They win 11 and 71. And basketball is a little bit more swinging like that, but that is bad. <laughs> like eleven wins, I, I eleven. I'd have to look it up in NBA history, but that has to be a bottom ten or bottom ten season of all time, including <laughs> expansions. You just can't lose many more games than seventy-one. We can. Uh, we can. All right. There are four instances of a team winning less than eleven games. And one of them was in a shortened season. Was that like the Bobcats when they won eight that year? Uh, they won seven. They That's won seven? Okay. Yeah. They're the, the 1973 
and the 2016 76ers won nine and ten games. Yeah. Yeah. But Nuggets 11 and 71, top five worst ever NBA teams. So they'd be in uh, competition. At very least, with the yeah. Avs' forty-eight point season, if not worse. Yeah, the thing the thing is though is that again, like that Nuggets team, one that's a modernish team. That's not an, and that's not an expansion team, and that's not uh, back in the seventies when you know, who knows who was even playing those games, right? Yep. Like, and and you can even I mean, the next year, 97, 98, 11 wins, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, they had fourteen wins. Yeah. So. An extended period of terribleness, not... Uh... Yeah, the mid to late 90s was good for all Denver sports teams, except the Nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Nuggets so... also only won 11 games in their first season, but that was only a 62-game season, so... Yeah. So those are probably the two worst teams. Um, the I don't think that there's been a Rockies team that's been that bad. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta lose a hundred games to start talking about real, real, real bad. Let's uh, let's look up some of the worst baseball seasons in history. Oh. Since we go just ahead looked and, up the uh, Nuggets, go ahead and look at the. I think there's like three of them last year that were just painfully bad. Season records in baseball history. Let's see. This is what happens. That's we can get off. We can get off on a tangent during this yeah, time because we just, have nothing else going on. And just go. I can't find a list of the worst. Season worst. Hello. Alright, here we go. The ten worst. Two thousand three Tigers were forty three and hundred and nineteen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so pretty brutal uh the next worst was a team from 1898 that went 39 and 111 the st louis browns see if there's any other modern ones on this list it's probably up to date for last Mets were famously bad because i think they won the 63 world series 40 and 120 those were the amazing Mets. Yeah, the '62 Mets have not even the worst. Not yeah, and then it's a bunch of non. Yeah, there's a bunch non- of teams in the 1890s were ungodly terrible. Yeah, when they had like a couple teams, and you're like, "Why are you guys playing that many games?" Yeah, <laughs> a hundred and fifty-four game season, and the Cleveland Spiders went twenty. And 134. A 0.13 win percentage. So, so any, anything good. the Rockies do can't possibly live up to the worst seasons in MLB history. Basically. Yeah, it would take it would take a lot. It would take a lot for the Rockies to be that, and they won't even be anywhere close to that bad. Yeah, um, the next year or two, even if even if everything falls apart with Arenado and blah 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 blah. Anyway, uh, this Avs team is certainly on the opposite end of that spectrum. Yep. And they are going to push for among the best Denver teams of all time in the next few years. And that's where you have to get really excited about this. And that's yep. where having this postseason taken away from us sucks. 
because we don't really know where they would have been. We don't, you and I both felt very good, but there were some flaws here. No doubt. The thing was, is that the West was also flawed where pick a favorite out of the West and there are, you pick one team, there are two others that you could make just as good an argument for. So if you were to say, oh, the St. Louis Blues, well, you have Colorado and Vegas. Yep. If you if you tell me a team from Canada, I will not listen to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was the reality of the league this year. In the West, at least, there wasn't one super powerhouse team to beat. Arguably, yeah. there were two in the East with Boston and Tampa Bay. but Definitely were. I think that's definitely fair. And then... You also had the traditional team that got hot in the second half that scares the bejesus out of everyone come playoff time with Philly. Yep. So, a little bit more of that standardized stuff on the eastern side where the west was kind of just a dirty mix of whoever claws their way through gets there. Yeah. I think it was I think there were three teams at the top and then there was a big grab bag of middle class between Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Dallas, and then Winnipeg had kind of pushed their way in there. Yeah, but Winnipeg was really like the Winnipeg Hellabucks, and not so much anything. Else. The rest of the team. Yeah, it was like if you if if Hellebuck is not superhuman in their playoff series, they will not be competitive. But he was like, if I if I get an awards ballot, like Hellebuck will be on my heart ballot. So definitely fair. Um, I guess. What we're trying to say about the difference in these Avs teams is 16-17, all natural. 19-20, Manscaped. So, Manscaped is our new partner here at DNVR. I get with it. And, you know, if if they're going to continue to be our partner, you guys got to hook us up. Yeah, straight up. With them working with us, we need y'all to get your stuff, get your Manscaped on. I know Straight all y'all. Up. I know all y'all are sitting out there with your bushes that need some cleaning up. Straight up. Straight up. Y'all sitting at home, like not talking to your wives or whatever, having whatever issues you got going on that you guys are in quarantine with your significant others. You got to take care of your business. All right. Happy wife, happy life. It's just true. Can you got to take care of your business? And part of that is manscaping and making sure that you guys look dope and smell dope. And are attractive to your female counterparts. And all of that comes in a perfect little box delivered to you by Manscaped, which you can get 20% off on when you use code DNVR20 plus they'll throw in free shipping when you order from Manscaped.com. AJ put it better than I possibly could. Smell nice, look nice, feel nice, make her feel nice. Why not? All, everything and above. Manscaped.com, DNVR20. Get on it. Hook it up. Let's get out of here. 